Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is my new friend, Serena, who joins me from Italy, but she has used a variety of methods to travel around the world significantly in a lot of different countries. So this conversation takes us from Sweden to London to China and Ireland and all the way back around to Italy, where she's doing some really interesting things as the co-founder of Kino Italy, bringing remote workers to some very authentic destinations, sort of off the beaten path for month-long experiences with a group of like-minded people, giving them really authentic Italian experiences with the locals and tapping into all of the natural beauty and culture and tradition that they have there. So I wanted to dive into what they're doing with Kino. I also wanted to just discuss some of the different areas around Italy for those of you that are considering traveling there or going to spend some significant time there. This was a lot of fun. Serena is doing some really incredible things with Kino and also just a great person to talk to about travel and everything that they have going on in one of my favorite countries in the world. So this was a blast for me. I hope you all enjoy it as well. Please help me in welcoming Serena to About Abroad. Yeah, the uh, the timing for this conversation is really good because um, I can't remember if I told you this when we when we scheduled, but I'm actually leaving for Italy in just a couple days, and we'll be spending a few months there. So I've got some like a good Italian vibes going that I that that happened to be the same week that I, I get you on here. <laughs> I think you're full on with Italian vibes lately because you've also been to Italy, I think, with your team retreat. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, <more> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's been a full on Italian summer, a Mediterranean summer for me, I guess. Like uh spent most of it here in Greece and and now uh working my way back to Italy. And yeah, the the team retreat in Tuscany was awesome. That was that was like one of the best experiences I've had in a really long time. The, the, the Italians are very hospitable. <laughs> yeah, that's one of our, you know, perks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You, uh, you are currently in Italy, but I mean, if I understand your, your story correctly, you've spent a lot of time living in other parts of the world too. Is that right? Yes. So right now, I mean, I'm at my parents' place. Uh, so that's my hometown. Um, I'm from a town called Desio, which is in the closest city you might know is Monza. If you are a Formula One fan, I don't know if you know <laughs> the place, but you're not. You Maybe someone knows, but it's north of Milan, like 20 minutes from Milan uh, and 30 minutes from Como Lake. Uh, so that's where I'm from originally, but I've been living abroad for many years. So I I, I don't live here. Uh, I just pass by frequently. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad place to circle back to. Uh, that that region there between like Switzerland and northern north of Milan is insanely beautiful. I mean, I I know I know people know of Lake Como, um, and you know maybe some of the towns on on and around Lake Como, but like. If you ever just get to like drive around there and or spend some time in that area, I mean, it's it's truly one of the most beautiful places in the world. Like where you, you have like palm trees lining these beautiful lakes that are surrounded by like alpine peaks and and all these really beautiful little villages like are tucked in around there. I mean, it, it really is like a little paradise. Yeah, it is beautiful. I mean, Camelot, uh, Como Lake or Lago di Como. Uh, is very famous and of course the towns on the lakes are very crowded tourists um, so probably as a local let's say i i'm not too keen on you know mingle too much with with that crowd but last friday i went with some friends for a happy hour there from there so we went for this aperitivo and we were driving by the lake to reach the destination a place called Chernobyl, which is a beautiful place uh, and I was like, okay, of course it is so popular. It is just so beautiful. Like, uh, it is, it is truly really beautiful. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when you grow up in an area, I think especially like when you're in one of these areas where there's just a lot of tourism, and the, the tourism's there for a reason. It's like, it's, it's an amazing place and people come to see that. But I think you can like a take it for granted. And also it can sometimes be tainted a little bit by the, by the over tourism. I think, I think honestly, like, do you feel like that's getting a bit worse in Europe in general? I mean, I know this summer was like really heavy for tourism, um, like setting record numbers, but like in general, do, do locals in Italy feel this is something that's happening like, like on a, a mass scale? Well, I think in Italy, it's always been the case with bigger cities. Um, and then maybe during the pandemic, uh, we kind of forgot a bit how that looked like, but then it picked up quite uh, rapidly uh, when everything opened up. And of course, tourism is still like very important for the economy and a lot of people working behind it, but it can become intense. Uh, I, I, I don't know, like I haven't been in Italy in touristic places that much. I tend to go when, you know, it's not like high season and so on, uh, but it feels a bit intense. And uh, uh, actually during my trip to Como, uh, we wanted to go to a local, we call it bar. It's like, you know, this place where you can have cocktails. And the local one was so crowded with locals that we were forced to go <laughs> to the tourist place. <laughs> But, you know, we had the lake view, so, but it was fun. And, uh, you know, there's beauty also in it, like, otherwise everything would feel probably a bit boring and nothing happening in certain places. So, like, I think tourists are still, a, you know, um, exciting part of certain destinations. I think the problem is when it's just too much. And, you know, I've heard this, from, for example, from a friend who's Albanian, and she's been living in, in my town for a very long time. And she was telling about Albania and it kind of exploded as a destination this summer. And she was saying, you know, my family, they're, they're just not going at the, their by the sea houses because it's just too crowded. And, and there it was quite sudden. Um, so it can become a problem. Um, so I think we need to identify the destinations we are targeting. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into what you're doing at Kino because I think that's a very cool aspect of of the focus, if I understand correctly, like pulling people into some of these more uh, remote locations, um, remote, pun, no, no pun intended, but like, you know, pulling them into these other locations. Um, before we, we get to that, I am very curious because I, I did like hear a little, like a little backstory on you and am just... I'm I'm curious about it because I'm just actually curious, and then also because I think it can be interesting for for people listening who are exploring, you know, a bit more about um, living abroad, traveling, spending significant time in other countries. Um, and it sounds like you've done a good bit of that um, via a variety of different methods. So, you know, very broadly speaking, like I wonder if you can kind of speak to that, like take us back in time a little bit and and uh, tell us about some of those experiences that you've had living in other places and, and sort of like the methods that you used to to get there. Like one of them, for example, I, I believe I read or heard somewhere that you were an au pair at one point. So I'm kind of like referring to that whole phase. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was my very first experience abroad. And probably even before I left, I was starting with like playing with my mind. Like I want to go abroad and I want to explore places that are not my hometown. I, I've always had that within me uh, as, a, as a kid. And actually, my mom was an au pair herself in the 70s. She went to Germany uh, as an au pair. And, you know, going as an au pair, even just to Germany, but in the 70s was kind of a drastic thing, you know, like no WhatsApp. Uh, you know, she had to write letters. Apparently, my grandpa was crying all the time. He would call her at the phone. <laughs> so it was a very, very different experience. But um, so, so listening to her stories, I, I was really convinced, okay, once I finish high school, I want to go abroad um, before starting university. And so I landed on uh, being an au pair in Ireland. Uh, so I went to Dublin. Um, I was living just outside Dublin in a place called Lucan. Um, so there are a lot of little towns around Dublin, uh, but it was so easy to commute to the city. Uh, and it was still today, I think that's one of the best years of my life. Um, being an au pair was a way to kind of transition from Italian family life to still kind of family life, but with an Irish family, uh, which was a very unique 
way to explore their culture and traditions and understand how, uh, you know, Irish people, um, you know, behave and, and, and live their, their uh, uh, family traditions and experiences. So that, that was quite precious. Um, I was studying English uh, in, in the meantime, and I met so many nice uh, people from all over, mainly girls, because I don't know if au pairing is still a thing and if now it has been taken over by <laughs> boys as well. But back then we were mainly all girls. <laughs> I think we just met like, I, I have, I've just heard of this one guy. I haven't met him in person. <laughs> Probably now things have changed. <laughs> It's cool. It kind of provides you like a little bit of a, a community though. Like, um, I mean, I, I guess like in case somebody's wondering if you haven't heard of this, like it's a fairly normal thing to do, I think, to use an au pair program to go and like basically become like a, a child care, like a caretaker for a family. Um, and they put you up like, is this, is this all kind of correct? Like they put you up in a house and they kind of take care of you, but you take care of the kids and it's, uh, for a set period of time, like six months or a year or something like that? Yes, I think you can decide on, on this day. I went through an agency and I decided to do like 10 months. And I was very lucky. Uh, uh, my kids were really low maintenance. They were already kind of grown up. <laughs> so I just had to make sure they were surviving their games outside and uh, not really having to do that much and just helping a bit with house uh um, of course, but uh, other than that, I had a lot of time to go out and explore and, and mingle with my friends. And I actually had a girlfriend over next door. So I was very lucky because even when I was at home working, we would just meet for a coffee break <laughs> and then going back to ironing and cleaning. <laughs> but it's, uh, I think if, if you're, if you want to really experience like a family kind of uh, situation, uh, or pairing, I would, I would recommend it. Yes, and in Ireland, is special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Irish people are so uh, welcoming and friendly and and easygoing. Like, I think, I think, of course, you can find bad apples anywhere, but like, probably a pretty good place to go where uh, you're gonna likely get a, a decent situation. <laughs> and because uh, it all depends on the family, right? Like, if you, <laughs> it could turn into a, a, a rough stay if, if you've got a, a nightmare of a couple kids or, or a family that expects a lot out of you or doesn't provide you with a, a great accommodation. And I don't, do you get much like choice in the matter? Like, or, or does the agency just kind of like place you? Um, so I went through an agency, but you can also do it by yourself. There are platforms out there. I think one is called Open World or something like that. Um, so you can actually check the profiles and, you know, it's a matchmaking between au pairs and families. In my case, you know, my family wanted some sort of extra insurance. So we went through the agency and I remember the first, um, option was a single mom with a very young kid, probably like a baby. And, you know, it was... 17 i didn't really feel like i wanted to take on that responsibility because actually for families they really lean on you uh if they are single parents and so on so i said well can you give me another option <laughs> otherwise i'll take it <laughs> and yeah the other option went very well i got you okay all right that's good to know that's good to know well thank you i never i've actually like I've, i know of all pairing but i was trying to think through like i don't think i've ever had anybody on the show that that touched on that. And, you know, part of the goal here with about abroad is just to share different avenues to, to exploring a life, uh, abroad. And so I think it's, it's not really what we're here to talk about today necessarily, but I think it's an, uh, you know, I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to, to shed a little bit of light on that. For sure. Were there any other stints before you, you kind of circled back to Italy, like, um, where you, you spent, uh, a decent oh. amount of time in other places. Oh, yeah, you're nodding your head like, yeah, a lot. <laughs> so I start with Ireland in the first chapter. Uh, okay, then I uh, went back to Italy and um, completed my bachelor in Milan. Uh, but then I, I knew I wanted to go abroad again. So uh, I decided to um, take my master course in uh, Sweden. Uh, so instead of finishing my studies in Italy, I applied for a master program of two years in uh, at Uppsala University. Uh, Uppsala is a town north of Stockholm. Uh, so I moved there and studied uh, sustainability studies. Um, and that was another very special 
uh, time of my life. Uh, this time I was a student, an international student, and I just fell in love with Sweden as well. <laughs> and um, uh, it was an international master course. I met a lot of different people and it was an interdisciplinary uh, course. So it had very broad backgrounds, um, people coming from Indonesia, the States, uh, a lot of Europeans. Um, and it was very interesting to see how as like a state, a government can support international people going to their country. Um, I will be forever grateful to, <laughs> to Sweden for the opportunity to study there. I was shocked. I didn't pay really one euro for it, not even printing a document. It was all free education and it was high level education. And this still, like, still today, this shocks me positively, of course. Not for overseas students. I'm sorry, like <laughs> some <laughs> Americans or Australians or are listening. Fifty percent of the audience just got really excited and then really <laughs> sad. <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's. I, I mean, that's an amazing thing, though. Like the Scandinavian countries do that so well, and I think I always think this is fascinating coming from a like another European. Like we, I think people from the outside of Europe may forget or, or just not realize like the disparity within Europe. We think, oh, Europe, everybody's got free education. And, um, but, th but there are differences country to country and, and like there are limitations on that. Um, and in fact, many times it's not free. It's still the, the pricing, the most expensive pricing that I've ever heard of for higher education uh, is a mere like fraction of what like an American student would expect to pay. But in this case, like your example, you've, you've grown up in Italy, you're able to go to Sweden, get a high quality master's degree for literally nothing. Like yes. that's, that's I an amazing social network. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> it was still reasonable, uh, you know, fee in Italy, uh, but I didn't pay anything. It, it, it's pretty incredible. They have a lot of uh, support for students and in fact you meet a lot of sweet sweets that take these gap years because they know they have this safety net that the state provides to just go out and explore and travel and if they want to go back this we still have their student loans this is really precious for the having there so yeah uh, so that was Sweden and uh, in the meantime I you know I was in a relationship back then and uh, my then partner had found a job in London so the next move became moving to London after my uh, graduation and I started more of a, an expert life in the UK uh, and that's where and that, that is where I stayed until uh, 2022 early 2022 when I started to embrace more a more of a nomadic lifestyle let's say <laughs> nice so are you uh, are you a more or less a, a full-time nomad right now or do you do you kind of stay put in one place you have a home base what's the lifestyle like uh, i don't have a home base uh, i'm moving quite often uh, i'm moving to destinations just to to explore a bit myself and then you know moving within italy to uh, host our uh, you know communities um, so I've been moving quite a lot in the past almost two years and I feel I need to slow down. Uh, I'm not sure how to do it, uh, but that's one of my personal objective for 2024. It's a weird addiction, right? Because it's like, you don't, you, your body's telling you like, relax, stay put, you, you do better with some routine and some, you know, stability. And then it's like this, like call to just continue going and you feel like you, you can't really slow down. Um, in your case, you're also running a business, you know, f like centered on this, but, but even still, I can see when you're talking about it, that it's like a, a personal joy as well. Yes, it is. And, and to me, finding that balance is what I'm really trying to do right now. Um, cause you mentioned like running a business takes a lot of energies to, you know, put your mind into something super new. Um, in the past, one and a half year, I think I stayed the longest three months in a place and all the time you move, obviously you need to do research and understand what's, you know, <laughs> what's coming on your way, where you're going to work, all, all, all the, you know, logistic uh, question marks. Um, and I think that put a lot of, you know, strain, it can put a lot of strain on you. Um, and um, 
at least in myself, <laughs> that's what I tried recently. So I was like, okay, I think I need to focus a bit on business and, and having some sort of hobbies to support productivity. So probably I need to slow down. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but what you're doing is super cool. I've been following along for, for a while. Um, and, uh, I know some people that have been on your trips and so I obviously have a little bit of context and you can, I, I won't, try to do the, uh, the disservice of explaining it myself. I'll let you, I'll let you do it, but we already kind of referenced this before that it's what I really love about what you're doing with Kino is that you're pulling people out of these overly, uh, touristy spots and getting them into some of the, the, what I, what I would call like the real beauty of a lot of the, in a place like Italy, for example, where you have these destinations that people love going to, like a lot of people with their first trip abroad, they're going to think of Italy. They're going to be like, Oh, I want to go see Rome or I want to go ride a gondola in Venice and, you know, go drink wine in Tuscany. And all those things are awesome. And like, I recommend doing them. Um, but, but it's also true that there's like so much beauty and, and the real authentic culture and tradition to be found in some of these other areas. And you're leveraging remote work to, bring people there. So I think that's really cool. I'll let you kind of introduce Kino and then we can dive in a little bit deeper because I think people will be interested. Sure. Um, yes, I think you've explained a lot already and uh, beautifully. Um, what we're doing at Kino Italy, we are uh, creating curated one month remote work experiences in uh, destinations in Italy that are either off the beaten path, so a bit more remote locations, or we choose more popular destinations but during the off-season months so when all the tourists go uh, and you just have local people uh, living like a local life normal life let's say um, we started doing this because both my co-founder Andrea and I had experienced remote work on ourselves uh, we are I don't know how do you call these like remote workers that became remote workers because of the pandemic is there a name no, we, need, we, we need one like the, the newly converted remote workers <laughs> exactly exactly and we've just seen a lot of benefits in our lives and uh, uh you know i was living in london and i was living in shanghai so quite big cities and and all of a sudden we had the opportunity to get out of those big cities and also leave our country from a different angle, not just, you know, having to commute to Milan or, you know, another city, uh, but really going to beautiful places where we could still focus on work, but also experience all the perks of being in a slower paced environment and surrounded by nice people. Uh, so we said, okay, this remote work trend is just growing, we think it's growing, and there's nothing in Italy that uh, can offer remote workers and digital nomads what they need to come to Italy, uh, do their work, have all the conditions uh, they need to do their work properly, but also being able to enjoy a different setting compared to big cities. Um, so that's why we created this concept of one month curated experiences, because we select destinations that fit all these uh, kind of boxes, uh, the logistic of work plus the amenities and beautiful landscapes. But also we wanted to make sure that people coming would have a community around them. Um, because I think, you know, when you come from far away, uh, if I tell you, okay, come to this small village in Italy, if you come alone, you might feel like, okay, what am I going to do there? It might be beautiful, but probably after a couple of days, you know, I will be happy to move on. <laughs> so you will not experience all the, you know, perks of, you know, staying there for longer. Um, so we really focus on creating this community concept. So let's go for a month. We bring together uh, location independent professionals uh, and we tell them, okay, look, you're going to a small village. So we prepare them to <laughs> find different conditions than going to big cities. But we tell them you're going with community of like-minded individuals that like you love Italy, they have a passion for the culture, they want to connect with locals, and we will create a nice experience for the group. Um, so that's what we're doing. We've been done this for uh, now, like by the time we um, of our Tuscan experience, uh, we will have run six, uh, let's say, chapters. Um, and yeah, I think people are liking it. 
Yeah, I, I hear people are really liking it because you the main thing that you touch on there is like the community aspect, which this is the word I hear popping up everywhere throughout the whole like remote worker, digital nomad scene, um, even amongst like expats, you know, people who are a bit more established in, in a place, they're still craving more connection. And I think there's like part of that is, you know, we've gone more to like a digital setup for, for, uh, for work. So, you know, we're not going into offices as much. You're not getting that like water cooler talk that everybody thinks is really important. Um, and you're, and you're finding yourself like a little bit more starved for just like that serendipitous connection with people. Um, and, and then I think the other thing is like the traveling lifestyle can be very isolating in a lot of ways or superficial. Like you're just passing through places, you get to know some people, but you're not really building deep bonds. Um, and so I think like people are that's starting to catch up with people. It's like, okay, this has been fun, but some of the novelty is wearing off and I really miss community and I miss having like deep, you know, meaningful experiences and relationships and conversations. And it takes some time to, to do that. And so it's great to be in an awesome destination in a beautiful location and check off some bucket list items and post some awesome pictures on your social media. But if the, the destination is sort of just like the backdrop and you need the, the people around you, the like-minded people to make that a really uh, meaningful experience. So combining those two things uh and I, especially in a location that like i may not get to on my own um i think makes for a really really impactful experience yeah and no, absolutely and, and i think that this this to me is like critical for anyone who wants to build something in a rural destination or you know kind of during quieter months when you don't find services locally you really need to focus on the community aspect and creating even simple activities that can really foster connections. Um, because we have many beautiful places. You know, some people in Italy are very not, we are the most beautiful. Italy is the most beautiful country in the world. Like there are a lot of beautiful countries. Uh, I think we need to, you know, uh, promote it for you know the unique things we can we can offer. But for me, we, with you know Italy with Andrea, we we really focus on the. Uh, group and the community part because once you're in a small place if you are with nice people and you're learning from each other that becomes the purpose of your experience it's not about the place per se um, otherwise you can travel to destinations on your own and uh, and what we really also want to focus on is creating these connections with locals and facilitate these connections through simple activities you can be doing sport together or going for an aperitivo and having a wine together so nothing too complicated at first because you really want to forge those those uh, connections uh, but i really want you to get out of the bubbles that sometimes you see in uh, digital nomad destinations or remote work destinations that i love the bubbles as well uh, sometimes you just want to arrive to a destination and connect with your international community but i think there is value in also connecting with uh, the local culture and community. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Lexity. I've lived abroad in various countries, and one common denominator I've found is that dealing with foreign bureaucracy is a nightmare. Trying to navigate visa and immigration waters in another language is not something I'd recommend ever trying on your own, even for the most experienced of us. So when I recently had to renew my Spanish visa again, I turned it over to the pros at Lexity. They've already helped more than 5,000 expats and digital nomads find a home and thrive in countries like Portugal, or in my case, Spain, also Italy, France, and Greece. Some very desirable locations indeed. So whether you're trying to obtain your first visa abroad, purchase a property, or work through international tax issues, Lexity's team of friendly lawyers is here to simplify your journey. The team is super knowledgeable, bilingual, and thorough, and I seriously cannot recommend their services enough. My experience working with them has been incredible, and I can honestly say I don't know that I would have EU permanent residency if it wasn't for the help of the team at Lexity. So if you're ready to make your move abroad, then Lexity is offering an exclusive discount to About Abroad listeners. Grab 10% off your first service with the code aboutabroad2023 and learn more over at lexity.com in the show notes and start your abroad journey today. 
If you've made it this far into the episode and you're still enjoying yourself, then I would love to ask a quick favor. Open up the app that you're using to listen to this podcast and leave a quick review. You can do this in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and really just about any platform that allows podcast listening now. If you can't find that in the interface of the app, then scroll down in the show notes and find ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, and you should be able to leave it from there. Thanks so much, guys. We really appreciate it and hope you enjoy the rest of the show. What are you guys doing to facilitate connecting with the with the locals? Like, what are some some examples? So, some examples from, uh, for example, I'm traveling to a place called Puglia, Puglia uh, this evening, and I'm going to Ostuni, which is these destinations that we have already visited twice. And there, we created this event with a local association for elder elderly people, and so we have these nonnas, which means grandmas. <laughs> And we had like a cooking together past the class. But what I liked of that situation is that it was not um, a business selling pasta classes. You can have it quite everywhere in Italy right now. But it was really like we went to this place where they meet every day to play cards and just stay together. And, you know, they have a kitchen like <laughs> in the room next door. And they welcome us like, singing and then they were talking with us in Italian and you know none of the people in the group would understand but like we also have a testimonial from a girl she's like I, I didn't understand anything but I just could feel the the warmth and like the the passion they put in, in into creating this pasta with us and uh, that, that for me was very very special also because of kind of this intergenerational connection like meeting with someone from the community, but not necessarily young people over a wine, but like elderly and senior uh, uh, locals. So that was quite special. I think something important is to have connections with someone in the local community that really want to mingle with you and your community, because they will become like a bridge to then meet more people. Um, so we also had, for example, puddle games with locals. Uh, Something we are going to do right now is on top of this is also creating some skill sharing activities with uh, kids uh, from high school or university. We still need to sort out the details, but it's like a level we want to uh, explore and also leaving some sort of know-how and, and, and sharing some skills that our community have and, and making sure we share this with, 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 with the communities that host us. Um, so yes, it's incredible. I love the, the intergenerational aspect. Um, I, I can imagine these like Nona's sitting there, uh, hanging out with a bunch of digital nomads from all corners of the world, <laughs> just thinking like, what, where am I? <laughs> like, what, this, this must be so foreign to them. And, uh, to, what, do, what do they say? Like amongst themselves or to you in Italian, like what are their, what's their perception? No, no, they, they loved it. Like, I, I'll tell you, like, one of the ladies, she, she passed by with a car. We were going back home and we were walking. She passed with a car. She's like, do you want to come on board and I'll show you around town? And, <laughs> and you know, tomorrow we can meet at the local market and I can offer you my homemade limoncello. <laughs> it was like, yeah, they're very, very welcoming. And um, I don't even know if they understood fully <laughs> what this like, like our community members do, but we explained that, you know, they can work, they would, they were working from Osuni and they were coming from all over and they were just so happy to, to teach us something that they, you know, like they are the pasta making. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm down for that kind of activity. Uh, <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite, my, my wife and I, one of our favorite things to do for years has been to go to Italy and do pasta making courses and, um, learn to make different types of pasta. And we've gone all in on like buying the, I mean, I, I think it's really funny. We like travel around in a camper van and we have brought our pasta making equipment with us. Like we have one of the, the ma machines and the hand rollers, the, the special hand rollers to cut different types of noodles. And, um, so it's for me, one of the most fun things to do is also coming back to the retreat that we hosted in Italy. Um, for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, at my day job at Duish, we brought a hundred people to Tuscany, um, over the summer to do like a week long company retreat. And we held a bunch of workshops and activities and stuff. 
And one of the highest rated workshops that we did was the the pasta making class. Um, so it's just a we uh, we bond around food, and uh, and Italy does food like no one else. So uh, when in Italy you do a pasta making class, it's uh, <laughs> it'll it'll bring the group together. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, there's something beautiful about like food and, and cooking. And apart from pasta making classes, we've also seen with, within our community, one of the simplest activities to organize, but that make people very happy is simply cooking together. Um, you know, I think it's just the joy of creating something that provides everyone pleasure because we're cooking these delicious dishes and we share it together. And, and when I explain to my international friends why we are so obsessed with food. I think it's not the food per se, it's all the art that comes with making delicious dishes. I'm not an excellent cook, but I like to eat it. <laughs> and then the sharing part, that's, that's what is very important in, in the Italian culture. Uh, and yes, that's why we are obsessed. It, like in the household, so like uh, when you go to an Italian restaurant, often you can you can just order your own plate. But they also, at least in the U.S., we would call it like family style, um, where you just like share big bowls of salad and pasta and stuff. So you kind of just like order a few things for the table and then you share it. Is that do you actually do that in the household, or is that like a a, a custom that other countries have taken and Italianized it? Uh, you mean at home, if we share? Yeah, yeah. Like when you're cooking at home, is that a normal, like we call it family style. So it it plants in my head that this is what you do at home. But I'm just realizing as we're talking now, like, I don't know if that's actually true. I have no idea. But then you just said sharing was important. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we do have this, we have antipasti, which, you, which is starters that normally are shared small portions of uh, food that comes before the first course, and then we have a second, and a dessert is like very long. The <laughs> uh, meal that doesn't happen every day, though. Uh, that's also what I want to when I on my mission to kill stereotypes about Italians. Like, we don't have pasta every day. Some of us do, but uh, we don't have these huge meals every day. <laughs> don't don't spoil it for us, Serena. Come on, we want some stereotypes have to live on. Uh, <laughs> We want to we want to think that we can come to Italy and stay as thin as all of you and eat pasta three meals a day. Um, and, and so if you're telling me that's not true, I'm crying a little bit inside. <laughs> no, no, you can do it for sure. And you will find people that will be happy to cook for you. But um, I think we also say that med the Mediterranean diet is very healthy and uh, that doesn't include food pasta dishes per day <laughs> <laughs> it's funny um, my uh my i was sharing with you a minute ago my my love of for pasta and the funny thing is is like i was talking with my brother recently and he asked you know like oh what did you we we were celebrating something and he asked like oh what'd you guys do and i was like yeah we had uh you know we had a nice we pasta dinner and he's like wow you guys like really love pasta and it kind of like caught me off guard because i was like doesn't everyone like is, is that not your thing do I even know you? <laughs> and he's like, no, you know, he's like, for me, like if I, that night would be like, you know, I'd go get sushi or something. And I was like blown away. I was like, oh, I thought everybody just did pasta. Okay. All right. I'm learning something today. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So I have a question for you. Uh, again, um, because you also had people going to, you know, Italy for the retreat. How do you cope with the full Italian uh, kind of recipes because that's something when we welcome people like you know we love Italian food we are great with Italian food we are not so great with kind of variety um, yeah this was this was a huge learning lesson for me because um, I took that for granted you know bringing I mean especially like you know in my case I'm bringing I brought a hundred people there to to Italy to Tuscany right like known for gastronomy um I mean, as is the whole country, but like, you know, like the, we're bringing people there and food is part of the experience. So we planned obviously, you know, pasta making classes and every meal and, you know, there was pizza, pasta, it was like stereotypical meals. Um, but when you're bringing people in from all around the world, there's obviously different dietary needs. Like, you know, people are, you know, have dietary restrictions, vegan, vegetarian, whatever. Um, and then you also have like people coming from certain parts of the world where like some things just like literally are uh, w like not, they can't eat them or they just will refuse to. And there's very literally nothing on the menu that, that fits their 
their needs. So in a place like Italy where food is such a big part of the experience and it's very uh, like kind of consistently similar, that presents some challenges that I that I totally didn't expect. Like in my mind, I thought food is going to be the the thing that everybody comes away raving about. And for 90% or 80% of the people, that's true. But for that other 10 to 20%, there is a big issue with like variety. Um, like I don't want to have pasta every day or, um, you know, I need uh, like vegetarian options were actually like, if it wasn't just like pasta with red sauce or something, then like really good vegetarian or vegan food um, was really hard to, to offer. And also the last thing, uh, which I, I think you already suspect that I'm going to say was that like, there's a lot of pride and tradition in the way that food is prepared there. And so people don't necessarily want to adjust. Like if you try to get the chef to, well, can you just like leave out the meat? No, it's prepared with meat. It's like, yeah, I get that. But can we do a non-meat version? No, we can't. Like, okay, well, <laughs> we're at an impasse here. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's a, that actually was a challenge. Not for me personally, you know, for, I was, I was, I was loving it, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see how that could unfold. Um, I've lived so many years abroad that I've also, I think, adopted some habits that would not be uh, regarded as orthodox Italian way, but um, so I'm, I'm very like fine with, you know, differences and, and uh, people wanting to have, uh, you know, to having different needs, but uh, you're right. Like, I think a lot of Italians are very, very um, proud of their culinary traditions. Uh, but I think that that might become a limit when you want to uh, welcome remote workers in digital nomads more longer term. Um, because, you know, for a retreat, it might be a few days. In your case, you have just, you had just a few people finding it a bit hard. But when it becomes a month, even for me, like, I, I don't want to go out every day to a restaurant have to eat pasta all the time. Uh, maybe a tip uh, to share with audiences, also trying to be a bit brave with the choices in the menu because Italians do not eat pasta every day. And we have 20 different regions with different culinary traditions. Um, unfortunately, sometimes what you get in restaurants, especially if they target tourists, is something that is very familiar among tourists. But if you go to small, we call them osteria, these more kind of typical restaurants, you will find local culinary traditions and you might have more variety. It will still be Italian cuisine, but you might find different options. I love that you brought up the word osteria. Um, this rolls off your tongue. Maybe not common knowledge for lots of people, but I thought I was really cool when I learned the difference between uh, an osteria, a trattoria, and a restaurante. And, uh, and I just saw those three words on restaurants for forever and never thought about the difference between them. How do you describe the, the difference between those three things? You know what I was going to say? I think you know more than me, Chase, because you lose me with uh, the difference between trattoria and osteria. <laughs> I, you know, someone, some local in Verona, Italy might have just gotten one over on me for uh, like one night at, a, at an Osteria. And, um, and so I, I might have been, I may have been going around telling people for the last uh, two years that, that I know the difference between these things where, and, and it's completely false. But uh, the way it was described to me was like Osteria. And I, and I say I learned this in Verona because Verona claims to have the most Osterias per capita uh, in Italy. And I thought that was really cool because I didn't know that going there. And um, but it like they kind of described it as like the Osteria is sort of like the the family style, like the equivalent of a pub in uh, Italy. So like, you know, you're going to go in, there's going to be a few things on the menu, um, not a lot of variety, but it's going to be home cooked. And it would be normal to go there and have like a pasta lunch and a glass of wine or something like that. Um, am I am I right so far? That sounds that sounds right. But what about? Trattoria. <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay. So trattoria is the, is the, uh, also I, I always pronounce that in my head, trattoria, it's trattoria. Okay. Uh, epic fail there. Um, and, uh, so trattoria would be like the next step up, not quite the restaurante, which is like the white tablecloth, uh, fine dining sort of experience, but, uh, trattoria might be like, um, somewhere between the pub experience of an osteria and a white 
tablecloth, fine dining experience in a restaurante. Right. And more ops as well. Thank you. <laughs> I think I can go to Verona like, without <laughs> making some embarrassing comments about restaurants. I will add an extra one. You also have Agriturismo, which is a restaurant in a countryside setting where you have the farm and then they have the restaurant where they cook meals with locally produced at the farm ingredients. Amazing. Agriturismo. Agriturismo. Okay. I like that. That's it. Do you do any of that with, uh, with Kino? Do you guys incorporate that at all? Yes. We, we also go for like um, local experiences over the weekends and people love the food component, of course, and the wine component. So when you mention like wine and Tuscany, we, we also do that <laughs> when we don't work <laughs> and we tend to go to the local, local restaurants. Yes. Oh, it sounds so fun. I actually, I, I, I don't want to, um, I'm, I'm genuinely considering because I've had some friends go on your trips, uh, with, with Kino. So, uh, we've talked about doing that because as you know, I'm getting ready to spend a, a stint in Italy. And, um, and so I promised my wife, I would ask you a few questions during this interview, which I haven't gotten to yet. So this is as much for me as it is for the audience, but just sort of like quick overview on a few things. When, what is the rough, time frame and si- time frame for uh, experience and um, number of rough number of participants, for example, and then I have a few other questions. Yeah. So I'll start from the number of participants. We're normally between 10 and 15 people. So it's small community, which is nice to facilitate deeper connections among participants. So we saw that people like that type of size. Um, the length is around four weeks. And this is something we've been debating with Andrea because from a mission perspective, we want to also create something that is valuable for the destination and offering something for a week or two weeks falls a bit too much for us in the kind of tourist type of experience. While we really want to stay longer and giving the participants the chance to embrace the local lifestyle. So we felt, okay, a month is like good for that. Sometimes we have people asking, can, can I join you for two weeks only? And like, oh, should we say yes or no? <laughs> but we are trying to build it, this format. And for now, so it's been four weeks. Um, I think those were the two questions. Yeah. yeah so about a month and about uh, right now, shooting for around four weeks and shooting for around 10, 15 or so participants. And then do you... So obviously, you bring in everybody to a destination and... Um, my assumption is that it's, it's their responsibility to get to the destination um, on their own. You you facilitate that how, by helping provide information, but like they get there on their own, correct? Yes, that's yeah. correct. We've done a lot of uh, prep to understand how people can go to the destination, but of course people come from too many different places. So we, we've kind of said, okay, this is like the closest airport. These are the local transports and, and we can help you. If you're a group, we can facilitate a shuttle that brings everyone in. Um, and we've, we're trying to also build in these things in Notion. So we are building a sort of library that we can use over time and people can contribute to it. But yes. Nice. Cool. And then, and then when they get there, what are the what is like a, a normal day and or week look like? Starting starting with maybe a bit more broad with the with the week and then sort of narrowing it down to like, you know, day by day. And I'm I'm thinking in terms of like, you know, where are people working? Are they, uh, are they keeping up like a normal life or is it more of like a holiday? Um, just trying to get a feel for that. Yeah. So it's not a holiday and we, we want to make this trade when, when people apply and we, we always have uh, conversations with people that, that apply for our program and we want to make sure they have a job. If they don't have a job, but they reach out, like, what are you doing? Are you looking for a job? That that could be kind of, that can take like a full work day amount of hours. So we can make exceptions, but overall we are all uh, working during the week. And then it depends on people, like if they work with US hours or European hours, but during the day we do work. Um, and in the weekends, we focus more on exploring the surroundings and doing uh, activities with locals. During the week, the focus is work, but we also facilitate activities within the group. And this will be simple activities like let's cook together and have a home dinner or let's connect for a skill sharing session. Like in the past, we had someone giving an SEO workshop 
to the other participants or we did some uh, writing, creative writing sessions. So this is the type of activities we would do during the week. Um, and uh, where do we work? You haven't asked, but I feel like that would be like a next question. <laughs> so we all stay in local apartments. Um, so you, you might want your own apartment or you might share with other uh, participants. Um, those apartments, we've selected them because they had good internet connections, so you can work from home. Um, in terms of the co-working space, we provide one. Because we go to small places, there's not an official we work style co-working, so we have to be creative. In the places we go, we work with local partners and the local government to identify suitable place that can be set up as a co-working and that can have stable connection. So that's what we do. It's usually an open space uh, and people can come uh, at, during kind of work time uh, hours. Um, Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That that covers it. Um, the uh, I I I, can, I did my homework, so I can report back that I uh, I did as promised. Um, when people decide to come, they're generally coming as solo travelers, or do people ever bring uh, significant others, families, pets, even like like what is the profile and or any like rules or restrictions in that area? Yes. So we've had couples in the past. Um, we're going to have a pet. <laughs> now there's a participant coming with her little dog, Tiny. So <laughs> an extra community member. Um, we haven't had families yet. We got uh, contacted by families, but we didn't feel like we were ready to host families because we were targeted a more, targeting a more kind of generic uh, solo traveler slash couples without kids. So I think when you host families, you really need to create something that can deliver certain type of services. Um, so, so far we haven't done that, but who knows in the future. Uh, in terms of kind of um, profile of participants, age-wise, we don't want to put a restrictions, uh, restriction on age. On average, I would say people, it's people within, in, in their 30s, um, but we had younger uh, travel, remote workers and digital nomads, we had also more senior people joining. And that's something that participants like because they say, I would not engage with this person in my normal life, but here I have a chance to share something with them and, and I can learn from them and, and I think, uh, and it's vice versa the case. So um, age-wise, no restrictions. Um, also, we don't have a specific focus in terms of, you know, you might have these yoga retreats or mindfulness or entrepreneurship. We want to leave it quite broad because we like to bring in diversity and see what happens within the group, but still facilitating uh, the activities and connections. So. Cool. That's uh, that sounds like a wonderful experience. Uh, I like that too, because if I really want like a yoga retreat, I'll just sign up for a yoga retreat. Um, if I really want to go do like a mastermind kind of thing, like I'll go do that. So it's nice to, I, th I think the, the really nice thing that jumps out to me, the appealing part, the and the reason I wanted to talk to you about what you're doing here is like, uh, A, getting off the off the beaten path. I'm finding more and more as I like have traveled more, I'm really just seeking those. I still want to go to a beautiful, unique destination and, and feel like I'm in an authentic place. Um, but I do also want stuff to do and some community. And I've said so many times I've been in these locations where I'm like, God, this is gorgeous. And it's like the architecture is beautiful and the the natural surroundings are beautiful. And there's really good like little restaurants and, and things to do, but there's just no people like that I would hang out with. Um, and if we just had a small group of us here, like this could be an amazing place to, to spend some time. So I love that, you know, you guys are, are solving this and, and filling that void. Um, which, uh, which, which seems like a lot of fun. How, how has the experience been for you? Like, like starting this, running it, um, like I, I imagine you've learned a lot. Uh, it's also like coming back to your home country. And so you're getting like even more, um, intimate with your own country in a way, like getting to know different corners of it and, and the people there and stuff like just because you're Italian, you know, you're, you're from the North, the North and the South are very different. Um, like what have you, what have you learned from this and, and like, what's the experience been like? 
yeah, I've definitely, I've learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot. And with Andrea, we're still figuring out a lot of things. Um, Andrea is from Toscany and I'm from Milan. Also between us, there are some sort of differences in, in the way we communicate. It's just so fascinating to see all these uh, varieties, uh, even within people. But um, it, it's it's been very enriching as, as, as a journey. And, and we love to see also the reaction of, locals local partners to see the potential also for their hometown to you know become something slightly different than you know the usual okay there are tourists coming in july and august it gets very busy and then it gets boring and then i have to leave and you know we haven't touched upon all of that side of things but that's also what's on our mind we want to bring people that love italy to experience these places but then there's all this element of bringing opportunities for the destinations. And uh, in the long run, maybe people don't feel like they have to leave their hometown um, because like you said, there's nothing happening and they want to find a cool job somewhere else. If they want to stay, they might have the chance to do it, get a remote job and then having cool people around. Uh, of course, it takes time to build, but yes, there are so many differences and both Andre and I are quite doers so we said okay let's start with this sort of kind of startup profile let's not build an association and start trying to convince local governments like we knew it would have been hard <laughs> like i've spoken with gonzalo gonzalo hall a few times and he said that originally tried to do something in italy it was just like it was just too complicated <laughs> so i think we have the commitment because we're italian so we are more persistent <laughs> he went off to build something beautiful in madeira uh, so now now we're trying to you know <laughs> do something ourselves but yeah it, it's it's been a learning experience but it's also been very hard i think you really need to recognize that you will not set up something in one day you really need to put time and and try to understand the local habits what's the situation in that place who do i have to talk to do i have to speak to the mayor or am i better off speaking with a local business partner who can speed things up we are Learning and in each context, as you said, it's different. So we need to adapt to all of these different scenarios. But it's also exciting. I, w I wonder sometimes for people, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time now in Southern Europe and in Spain and and to a degree just more like traveling in, in Italy now the last few months in Greece. And, um, and there's... A, a way of life that's really addicting in a lot of ways. Um, it's, it's like a, a familiar slow, like slow down and, and just enjoy life. And, um, and, and that's amazing. I wonder for you, I, I say it's amazing, but everything comes with pros and cons, right? So there's like trade-offs. You just alluded to like bureaucracy and things moving a little bit slower. And these are also stereotypes that that uh, are are often true, and and you know I've experienced this as well. You spent a lot of time in country. I mean, you mentioned you lived in Shanghai, you lived in London, you lived in Sweden, Dublin, like uh, sort of the other end of the spectrum in that regard. In a lot of ways, what's is there anything that's like been challenging for you returning to Italy, and would maybe be of in, in that regard or something like? I, th I think it's important to sometimes it's really easy to get on a high of like all the awesome things about a particular place. But a lot of people listening to this show are listening because they're considering spending significant time in a place or actually moving to that country and they want to get a feel for it. And I think sometimes we need to make sure we like flag if there's anything that, that you find a bit challenging. And so you have the perspective of having grown up there, gone away and then come back and starting a business um, so I just wonder, like, I, I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask that question. No, no, for sure. And, and yeah, it's a very, you know, important question to address. Um, you know, for me, yes, I, I, I've, I've come from Italy. I was not coming from a small town. Like, you know, my, my, my town is not a huge city, but still like around 40,000 people, which is very different from a little village or Borgo, as it's called in Italian with like 2000 people. Or less um, and then going to big cities and returning to I, I wouldn't say I've returned because I haven't decided to live in these small towns for long term so this is also a difference that I think the audience has to bear in mind are you considering joining a program like Kino Italy and you go to this place for a month two months three months because you maybe you want to disconnect from New York City and recharge and you know focus on some personal things or work 
and then go back to where you're coming from or another big cities, maybe in Italy, or do you want to make a permanent move? If it's the latter, then we, we maybe need to have another episode change where, where I talk about like the downsides. <laughs> but, um, of course, um, but what, what, what I would really love to build with, with Andrea with Kino Italy is like having some hubs where you have these smaller places and you have more interesting people coming on a more regular basis, like what's happening with Punta do Sol in Madeira or Banco in Bulgaria. Um, so you don't, you still have the supporting community. You might be able to stay there for three months um, without having those down, feeling those downsides, um, but then being able to, you know, be quite, you know, temporary in that situation and then going back and come back again. Some people might be interested in the permanent move, but I think it's very challenging, especially in very remote locations. Where do you think that could work? Do you have a, a region uh, in mind? Um, so with Andre, we decided to focus on uh, Apulia or Puglia and Tuscany. Um, so Tuscany, I think everyone knows Tuscany, but it's more kind of the center part of Italy. And then uh, Apulia is the kind of, if you think about Italy as a boot, uh, it looks a bit like a boot. It's the hill part. And we've we've been focusing on this region and it's where I'm going tonight because it's really uh, thriving as an ecosystem right now. Like, like the local government is putting a lot of effort into bringing back Apulian people that have studied and worked abroad to build their companies there. Um, so there's this thriving ecosystem that is happening in there. Uh, it's been put on the map uh, internationally also. Uh, and and you have international tourists going there, so you have services, uh, you have bit more popular destinations along the coast, but there are very interesting towns in rural areas. And if we can build an ecosystem in there, the interesting thing is that we saw that and we started building a project there. And just a few weeks ago, the local government announced this big strategy that is called Maria Sinistra, which means the sea on the left. Uh, and, and it's a strategy to attract talents either back or to Puglia. Why? I have to tell you why see on the left. It's because if you leave Puglia, Apulia to emigrate and go abroad, you have to see on the right. But this strategy is meant to bring people back. So when you go back, you will have it on the left. And I'm so excited about this because it really provides the kind of base to build a thriving ecosystem in the region where you know that the local government is investing in this and you will have businesses investing in, in this and, and it's good for our mission. So, yeah. I love it. I, I think me, that everyone is... Loves Tuscany, so. yeah, everyone loves Tuscany. <laughs> um, I, but I, I think Apulia is a, a wonderful location because, I mean, I would I would rate it as that like it's right there on the verge of like still being a little bit off the radar for some people, but, um, but on the radar for many as well. Like, like it's, it's just right there on the, on the cusp of teetering in the other direction. Uh, you have, you know, beautiful cities and towns, lots of, you know, wonderful like tourist attractions. People have seen pictures of stuff in Apulia and not just don't know that it's, uh, Apulia and you have like, you know, big international airport close by that you can get into with Bari and uh, University Town and Lecce. And like you have you have so much down in this that that heel of the boot that people are starting to migrate to, I think. So I feel like that's a Maybe good reason. Maybe not a paradise for mountain lovers, but we can sort out something. We can just move quite next door. There are some which is like provide something else. But it's quite flat land. But if you like, you know, Countryside walking or cycling, it can do. Well, we could we could probably keep going for a long time. I know I have to let you get back to work, so I want to uh, I want to make sure we get you out of here on time. Um, but we covered a lot, and I really enjoyed this, and uh, and and I think you know people will will probably be very interested in in uh, following up with you and learning more about Kino. So could you? mention um where people can connect with you personally website where they can learn more about kino um also if you have any upcoming trips uh that they should know about this is airing in in october so any upcoming trips that people should know about and and anything else you want to share we'll put the links in the show notes and people can connect with you there 
Sure. So to learn more about us, you can check our website. It's uh, uh, kinoitaly.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, kino underscore Italy, uh, and on LinkedIn as well. You can connect with me uh, on LinkedIn. You can say hello at hello uh, uh, at um, kinoitaly.com. Uh, in terms of next destinations, we are closing our 2023 with a beautiful uh, remote work experience in uh, Sicily in a place called Orchidia, which is just the, an island of 4,000 people just off uh, the coast of Syracuse, bigger city. So we will have this very charming little context. But then uh, just the services and the easiness of the city just quite close by. Um, so we're really looking forward to that one. So we'll leave some links to uh, uh, get more information about that too. Um, I would just invite people to explore Italy. I think if I might just add this last thing, a lot of destinations use remote work uh, projects or projects for digital nomads to put themselves on the map. I don't think Italy needs to be put on the map, but I think through these projects, we can show a more authentic version of our country. So if you really want to deep dive into Italian culture and just enjoy, you know, something that is not, you know, usual postcard uh, <laughs> um, scenarios, just just have a look at what we're doing. But there are also other people who are trying to do beautiful things. So more to more to come from our country. Great way to to wrap it up. Well, grazie mille, and um, I look forward to hopefully joining you. I hope about abroad listeners will as well. And um, yeah, really enjoyed this. We'll, uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Serena. Likewise. Grazie, Chase. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter, no spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.